This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. I imagine most of us have some real experience of air travel. And if you do, one of the things I don't have to tell you about what a holding pattern is. You know, you get to your destination, everything sounds really great. You're getting to your destination, you have tight connections and things, and they tell you suddenly, you can't land. You know, your gate's not for, you know all the regular things. There's something wrong with the wind or something, a shear, but you just start circling, and then you circle again. You keep circling again. This can be very frustrating, right? You're not making, you're right there, but you're not making any progress. You're just in this holding pattern. And you know, sometimes the same thing can happen in our spiritual lives, that somehow we've gotten into a holding pattern. We just keep circling around and circling around. And what's worse, it's not just that we're circling. Sometimes we're having turbulence while we're in holding. We're going up and down, and we look, look on the side of our eye, have a little bag in the, in the seat pocket ahead of us and say, hmm. But the idea that it's, it's very tough. We say, I'm in this holding pattern. Why am I not making any progress? So what do we do if we're in a situation like that? And actually, Isaiah really points us to the answer today. So let's take a look at that passage. First of all, for some context for this passage, Isaiah basically is, Israel is the, is the world's longest holding pattern. If you read the Bible, you realize that this, the pattern, God does wonderful things, Israel rebels, Israel is punished, they then repent, God restores them, then they rebel again. And, you know, it goes on and on and on. You know, if you ever had to guess what's the plot of this book, you say, well, if I, well, that's pretty safe bet. Okay, that's sort of the plot that goes on and on and on. So what actually happens in Isaiah in this passage is exciting. It's like when you're on the plane, this holding pattern, suddenly someone comes from the cockpit, you, know, you hear the voice in the intercom saying, the pilot has told me to announce to you that we've been cleared for landing and that the gate is open on the ground and the weather is great. So Isaiah is saying, it's, it's ended. This holding pattern is coming to an end. That's the context for what we have for our verses today. Now, Isaiah tells us specifically, so what does it look like? He said it looks great. You know, the, the weather's great. Everything looks good on the ground. So he's going to tell us what that looks like. Now, I want to go this in some detail with you. So I'd encourage you to open your Bible to Isaiah 4, verses 2 through 6. If you have one of our pew Bibles, it's on uh, page Let's see, 590, 569, 569, page 569. Let's look at the first line. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. Let's be honest, we hear, we hear Bible things, and they're sort of sometimes going to be sound like beautiful, like elevator music. Most of us don't think of a branch as being particularly, you know, as someone who mows lawns, I think of a branch as something that sort of always seems to be where I'm about to mow. So the, what does it mean by a branch, the branch of the Lord? Well, first of all, in Hebrew, the word is a lot more telling than it is in English. The Hebrew word, tzema, has the idea of growth, budding forth, sprouting. It has that idea. Like a, it's like this, a branch in the sense that a tree, a tree puts out branches. That idea of putting out something. You know, life from life. You know, coming out life, coming out from life. So somehow the Lord's branch, life coming out from God, what could, be, what could that be? Well. That same term is used to specifically describe the Messiah in Jeremiah. No question about it. For example, in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5, it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king. So the house of David is like a tree, and this branch, David, will come out of that tree. Life 
coming forth from life. In chapter 33, verse 15, in those days and at that time I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Now, the church has always understood this to be referring to the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. And you say, well, is that Christian sort of reading that back into the Bible? No. You see, in the first century, you know, the century when our Lord was with us, is Hebrew had become a dead language for all practical purposes. People used it if they were professional religious people, you know, for studies and things. But regular folks, you know, who did real jobs and things did not know Hebrew. So when they went to synagogue, this was in a foreign language, so what they would do is when people started reading, they would read translations. But they were more than translations. They were sort of interpretations, like a paraphrase. So people have an idea what the story was. Okay, they're called targums, okay? And guess what we have in the Jewish targums for this thing? Guess how they translate this? They say, uh, in that day the Messiah of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. So the Jews understood this to clearly be this branch, this new life, life coming forth from life, was, going, was the Messiah, you know, the one anointed by God. Now we say he's going to be beautiful and glorious. Well, the word beautiful, here, let's, let, let's look at that. It, you know, beauty, but it also means something honorable. And the idea is this. When Jesus was this in the flesh as the Messiah, he was a suffering servant. He didn't look beautiful, so to speak, in human terms on that cross, did he? In his suffering, in his passion, in his death, he didn't look beautiful. Matter of fact, we're told in Isaiah, speaking of the suffering servant, Isaiah says, um, his appearance was so marred behind human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. He said it was hardly recognizable, like after a bad car crash. You, know, you could hardly recognize him. So what happens with the Lord Jesus? That's true if he was disfigured in his crucifixion, even though it was his victory. But that's not true of his resurrection. In his resurrection, he truly is beautiful, right? He's, his resurrection body is everything we can hope, perfection. And that's not the end. What glory means, he said, not just beautiful, but glorious. You see, you can't be glorious in your garage. Glory means something that is evident to everyone. Everyone can see this. It's obvious and evident. So not only the beauty, but it's a beauty the whole world will see. So we start out with this prophecy. What will, what will it look like when we hit the ground? He said, I'll tell you this. The branch of the Lord, that Messiah, will be beautiful, revealed in his full beauty, and he will be glorious. He'll be recognized. So we then come up. So the second part we have, in the fruit of the land shall be pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. You know, God makes promises, and very often what we want to do in the Hebrew Bible is we want to do physical things to remind us that this is not a dream anymore. It has really come true. Like, what do people do when they cross the Jordan River? They put up a pile of stones. Remember, this is real, folks. We're not dreaming. It's here. It's as real as these rocks on this site. And so he's saying, you know, you'll eat the fruits of... We, I talked to you about this promised land you've been talking about for hundreds of years. I'm telling you that you will actually not only be there, you're going to say, wow, the food we're eating is coming out of this land. It really is ours. We're actually eating the fruit of the promise. Is now we're actually living in the promise. We're actually living the life from the promise. Okay, that's the eating the fruit of the land. But you might say, well, what's this business here where it says, uh, shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel? Have you ever been in a situation where you're the only one, you're taking a side, everybody else thinks you're wrong, they think you're crazy. 
and you have to take a lot of grief from people. Oh, what are these? Well, Israel had this story, right? A lot of the, the people, the nations around Israel say, why do you hang on to that God of yours? Why can't you be like us and be a success story? You know, if you just get rid of that stuff, you could be just like us. And they constantly, hey, they hung on. And he said, the day will come and well, everyone will see you'll be vindicated. Everybody will say, wow, they, they were right. They did make the right choice. That's why they're going to say it's going to be the pride, the pride of Israel, saying, we are now, you, you laughed when we said we live in the land eat its fruits. You know, who's laughing now? Not quite in the Hebrew text, but you get the idea. Who's laughing now? Okay. The next thing we have, and he, he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem. The word holy is an important word. It describes the quality that is unique to God. Only God is holy. If you get close to God, you get sort of reflected holiness, like being close to a fire, you get hot and things. But only God is holy. Now, the trouble with holiness is holiness is dangerous. It's like a fire of electricity. If you get too close, bad things can happen. Remember in the Old Testament, Aaron's sons once say, hey, why don't we just offer incense on our own? We'll come up our own. And they were slain. They died. Fire broke out against them. Think about Korah's rebellion we have with Uzzah who tried to study the ark. So holiness is dangerous to get too close to, except for something that's holy. And he says that, that division between the holy and the profane will disappear you will be holy. That means there will be nothing stopping you. There will be no dangerous break between you and God. Is that a thunderstorm on my mic? Okay, I'll stand right here. Okay. <laughs> so we're, okay. So he's saying we will actually, that's a beautiful, we can, by the way, we have the first, think about this, that's why we're called saints. The word saint is simply from a French word meaning holy. In English, we have two words that come from the same idea for holy. Heilig becomes holy, and then we have, you know, saint, in English becomes saint. But it's the same word. The word holy means, we are already called the saints. Remember the New Testament? To the saints at Corinth, to the saints at Rome, to the saints. So he's saying you will actually be holy so that God's holiness won't be a danger to you. You know, you'll be, it's prepared like, you'll be, it's like people who wear the, have the special clothing and things, to be near an MRI and things. You're, you're perfectly safe. You know, you'll be holy, harmony, in harmony with God. You'll be washed and cleansed. And he talk, I'm talking about real. This is, we're talking about deep cleaning here. He's talking about everything. He's talking about our shame. He's talking about the bloodstains on us. And he says by a spirit, not just washing with water, but by a spirit of judgment, a spirit of burning. You know, some things have to only purify, but you have to really, you know, just basically get them really, really hot to, to clean them. So he's saying the problem of sin will be in the past. So we really will have taken care of it. Not just managing our sin. You know, like when you manage a chronic illness, you take your pills. No, the problem will be over. Then I love this. He says, the Lord will create over the whole site of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud by day and smoke and shining of a flaming fire by night. This is something we might miss. It's beautiful. Is remember in the desert, the cloud during the day and the pillar of fire at night showed them where to go, that keep following. This is like your guide, your guide to the promised land. And, it, it would, and at night you would say on the tent of meeting. What he's saying is the day will get, think imagine you've been on a big car trip back in college or something. You went for, you know, let's say a few months on a trip around the country in a beat up old car. Every day you wonder if we make it another day. And finally he's saying, you know what's going to happen? He's saying next week that car will be in your garage. The trip will be over. You're not gonna, you'll, you'll be safely back home. It will make it the whole way. You'll be home. 
So he's saying here, that cloud, all those things we associate with the pilgrimage will now have settled down, meaning we've gotten there. We won't have any more of us playing the role of little children say, are we there yet? We will be there. Then it also says here, it's over the whole site of Zion and her assemblies. This is beautiful. Again, remember, even in God, among, with God's people when there was a tent of meeting or a temple, the temple was holy, but everything around it wasn't the same. He's saying there will be no distinction between the holy and the profane. No distinction. It will all equally be covered by God. And not the people, when he talks about their assemblies, is also just the site. Everything will be filled. Every aspect will be filled with God. You don't have to go to a special place. Everything will be filled with God. Then we have, for over all the glory, there will be a canopy. This is a verse that might be more powerful than you think, because remember, the word here is chupa in Hebrew. And like, if you remember on, on, on Palm Sunday, what we do at this church is we have a procession and we have over the cross, we have, we have four people carrying um, like sticks that have a, a blanket type of thing on top of it, a canopy, that kind of canopy. That's what you have for every Jewish wedding. The tradition that comes from an ancient society with tradition was you showed somebody you were married by bringing your bride into your tent. That was the official public declaration everyone was there to see that this woman was now your bride. So the idea of a chuppah at a Jewish wedding is by going under this, we're saying, you know, this is the public declaration, we are man and wife. So he says, over this glory, there, there will be a chuppah, there will be a canopy. This is the, the wedding feast of the Lamb that's been promised. God is not just taking us as roommates he is taking us as, you know, basically Israel is his bride. The church is his bride. And finally, he said, you'll be in a booth that will shadow, uh, for shade by day from the heat and a refuge and shelter from the storm and rain. We will know safety. We won't from, we'll be free from hardship and disorder. So this is what Isaiah says in, when he announces, you know, to the Israel, yes, we've been, and they were in the middle of a lot of turbulence a lot of turbulence when he's prophesying. And he's saying, I'm telling you, day's coming when we're going to land. Prepare for landing. You know, put your uh, tray tables in their up and your seats in their upright position, the whole thing. We're ready for landing. And, okay, what does that mean to us? Well, I want you to think about this. This is how we can learn from this passage. Everything I have just mentioned has already occurred from our perspective as Christians. Everything. The victory has been won. It's not like we're still waiting for this to occur. The victory has been won. Even now, for example, the branch of the Lord is beautiful and glorious. You know, the risen Lord Jesus reigns at the right hand of God and is recognized and glorified by his church throughout the world. You know, the branch truly, the branch of the Lord is beautiful and glorious. God has truly cleansed us from our sins. In the waters of baptism, we've received the forgiveness of sin. God is uh, also, we've passed through judgment. John says we don't have to worry about judgment anymore because we now are under Christ's righteousness. We've passed through judgment. That's not something we have to worry about. It's like we already have the credits. We don't have to take this special exam in college. We've got the credits. Don't sweat it out. The next thing we have is we've received the Holy Spirit, that fire, that burning that purifies. God actually dwells in us and among us. God is here right now. The Holy Spirit fills this place. Each one of us is a temple of the living God. This assembly, Jesus, probably when two or three are gathered, the Lord Jesus Christ is present here in this assembly. 
We heard him speak in his word. When his word was read, we will meet him at his table. He is here, and he covers all of us. He covers this space, every one of us here. And he's become, the church has become his bride. It says, so husband, you love Christ, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's already occurred. We're already, the, the church is right now the bride of Christ, and God has become our shelter. So the moral for us, if we're in a circling pattern, We've got to say, wait a second, there's no reason I can't live the abundant life right now. What am I waiting for? I have everything I need for the abundant life. So no reason to keep circling the airport. It's time, Christ has completed his work. It's time to land the plane and get off. How do we do that? And that's the title of the sermon, Living the Promise. And he says, remember, the kingdom of God is among you, saying we're already here. It's already available to us. So I'm going to point out four things that can help us to live the fullness of the promise. The first one is let God be God. What I mean by that is we are tempted to make, in good faith, make our Christian walk a personal project, like a self-help project. The Bible tells us all these neat things. We should love people and do these things. We really try with the best of our human abilities to do those good things. But Jesus has a commentary on this. He says, with man, this is impossible. He tells us when he has his hardest teaching, you know, with man, this is not possible. Because they said, whoa, Lord, if that's true. He said, yeah, you're right. This cannot be done. But what's the end of the phrase? But with God, all things are possible. Now, what does Paul tell us in Colossians? He says, God is at work in you, both to will and to work. That means that instead, our tendency is to try real hard. The, you know, the idea is, well, we try, but the point is we realize that God will always do the heavy lifting. You know, we have to understand we already have the power of God. It's God working through us and in us that makes this possible. I can't forgive, but God can. You know, he can do things in me. If instead of trying to pretend something I don't have, then I let God complete his good work. Now, what we have here is how do we do that? We need to call out for grace. That's why Jesus says often in the scripture, he says, he says, ask and you'll receive. You know, seek and you'll find. When you knock on the door, it'll be open to you. You're just not even asking. You know what the word precarious comes from? The word precarious, not dangerous. It comes from the Latin word, the verb precari, which means to pray. It means a situation so, so, uh, so hard that you have nothing better to do than pray, like it's the last resort. I've really come to this, I've got to pray. That's not how Christians feel about things. For us, as a Christian, every situation is precarious. Washing the dishes is precarious. Everything ought to be infused by God. So in the sense of what our, why we fail to take the power of God in our lives is we try to do it on our own. What we should be doing is every hour she asks ourselves, Lord, right now, in this place at this time, what do you want me to do? And give me the grace to do it. And not saying, why well, I can do it. No, no, God knows what he wants. That doesn't make any difference. If God wants us to do something, he'll give us the grace. What do you want me to do? Not tomorrow, not next week. Right now, what, would you want, what do you want me to do? And give me the grace to do it. A prayer that's always answered. Grace is always waiting for us to claim it. Again, anything that God asks us to do, he provides the grace. We need to, it's like one of those picket, uh, ticket waiting windows where you just pick up your ticket. Just pick up the ticket. Don't go it alone. I put it this way, if you're playing doubles tennis with God, give him every shot. No matter how easy it seems, he gets every shot. Okay, now let's live out our anointing. You know, Jesus gave us a mission. 
He said, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. He said, make disciples of all nations. How in the world am I supposed to do that? And the fact is, what Jesus is called the Messiah, what does that mean? Messiah, Messiah means the anointed one. Christos is Greek for someone who has oil poured on their head. They're, they're anointed. Okay, who was anointed? Prophets, priests, and kings in the Bible are anointed. You know, God's call upon them. Christ is the ultimate. He's anointed with the Holy Spirit as baptism. The Holy Spirit comes down. That's a, he's anointed as prophet, priest, and king. But what we must forget is, why do you think people call us Christians? Since we're not, I trust many of us here are not, most of us are not, or any are Greek speakers. We have at least one. We have one Greek speaker. Okay. Um, if you're not Greek speakers, it's the idea of being anointed is Christians were the anointed ones. It's not just the Christ. We also shared in Christ's anointing. There are things in the fathers. You know, you also are Christ. You also are anointed ones. Every one of us in our baptism, remember you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, share in Christ's anointing as prophet, priest, and king. That means he sent us on a mission, but he will always give us what we need for the mission. So for example, as a prophet means, prophecy means speaking into our circumstances. What does God say in this set of circumstances? God will always give us that word. Remember, Jesus in the, uh, in the gospel said, you know, if you get arrested, you're going to be really scared because most of them were uneducated. You're, not, you're going to be go in front of all these educated people being charged in a big room all alone. It's going to be really scary. He said, don't worry about it. Don't plan ahead. I'm telling you, I will actually give you my words. The whole, I will speak through you. So it basically means, don't worry, God will give us the word to witness. You know, in our, whatever it is, in our circumstances, we can be the one who represents God. The second thing is a priest. We have a special gift for bringing people closer to God. Because it's God working through us. It's not my particular skill set. Is if I open myself, God has a special gift. A priest will bring people closer to God. I have a gift from God to bring people closer to God. And what does it mean to be a king? Well, it means that we are no longer bound by sin, we're, we're, we, we walk upright now. We walk and we can bring that freedom to others. We're here to set the captive free. We talk about people who are really messed up, are tied up in the bonds of sin and saying, do I have good news for you? This is nothing for Jesus Christ. You know, let's, those bonds can go right now. We bring good news that we set the prisoners free because like Christ, we're in a victory march. The victory has been won. So we said, let God be God. Live out our anointing. The next thing is reflect God's holiness. Now, we talked about holiness before. What happened with Moses when he approached the mount, when he actually talked with God? What happened? He actually took on a shining because to be near to the presence of God, you become like him. It's like you stay close to a fire, you get really warm, you get really hot. Remember, like it'd be like a skating fire, your pants start to burn. You know, you start saying, whoa, whoa. You know, if you get you're close, you can take on the, the quality of the fire. If you get close to a fire, you can read it because it's bright, even though it's night, you can read. So if you get close to the fire, you take on those things. Well, my favorite verse in all of scripture is 2 Corinthians 3.18, where he says, this is true of all of us as Christians. He says, we are all with unveiled face, are beholding the glory of the Lord, we're like Moses, and we're being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. That's powerful. It means we like Moses. Why is this powerful? Very often, the reason people really convert, come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, is because they saw him in a Christian. You know, they all look at the words and things later on, but very often they see, they recognize the shining, this is God. They see the shining, and that is what wins them over. 
How do we do that? Well, we say, when did Moses become bright? When he stays in the presence of God. It's when we have a, an effective prayer life, when we really are living with a sense of God's presence. When this infuses our life, people will note it. It will change. It'll change our ministry. Our being there will be a source of common peace. Finally, we are told to bear fruit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And in Galatians 5, verses 22 through 23, we have uh, nine specific fruits of the Holy Spirit. Let's tell them, what do they look like? What will the Holy Spirit do in us if we'll just let him do it? And I want to explain these words because for Christians, they're deeper than some of their common meanings. Love. He said the first fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. But again, Jesus said, no, it's not just any love. He says, love one another as I have loved you. Meaning, we're talking about love. That often love means I trade. I like you, you like me. We make each other feel better. God gives un unconditional love. He simply pours out love. You know, like Christ on the cross, he was dying for the people who were crucifying him. That's the kind of love we have. We have this idea of sacrificial self-giving that doesn't hold anything back. Joy. Joy is, you know, it says in the book of Nehemiah, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And I look at the 21st century, in 21st century North America or Western Europe, I don't see much joy. I see a lot of anger, frustrated, bitter people. I don't see joy. But this is joy, is what makes joy powerful. Christian joy is something deeper than our circumstances. You see, in the world, joy simply means things are going well for me. If things stop going well for me, the goodbye joy. The joy we have, what makes it powerful, it doesn't depend on our circumstances. Because the only thing that counts is we are in right relationship with God. We know where we're going and we're knowing we're going to get there. And that gives us a joy that is contagious. In the midst of it, people see joy and they are impressed. Peace. The ability to live in harmony with others and the whole world around us. You know, we're just, we're not, we're not a square peg in a round hole. We're, we're living in the God's world as he created to be lived in. We're satisfied with who God made us to be. And we're living fully into that. Instead of saying, I choose something else. Am I, you know, I'm happy with the person God chose me to be. I have, that pe I have a peace. Where I'm born, where I'm, I'm happy with those things. Patience. There are two types of patience. There are patience with our circumstances. Sometimes we're impatient because things go wrong. Well, as someone who believes that God is all-powerful, by definition, nothing can go wrong. God even uses evil to bring about good. Anything in my life is used by God to bring good. All things work together to good for those who fear God and are called according to his purpose. So patience means that I really accept the will of God. I'm like Jesus in the garden saying, not my will, but yours be done. All I know is I know, you know what trust is? When we talk about faith with a child, he said, you, need, you, have to, you have to have faith like a child. What does that mean? It's not a theological thing. It means this. A child knows that their parents will provide whatever they need. They don't have a clue about finances, where you'll get the money. They don't know. All they know is if I'm with mom, I'm going to be okay. He said, that's what faith looks like. I'm with God. I don't have to explain how God's going to do it, but all I know, if I'm with God, it's going to be okay because God I can trust. Okay, that kind of, um, that kind of patience uh, that allows us with and with others. Well, how can we be patient with others? People can be harder than circumstances. Well, it's because with God, God gives us the ability to see people the way he sees them. You know, people are a combination. Instead of seeing, we see beyond their faults to seeing the image of God that underlies them. And that's beautiful. So it gives us x-ray vision. We don't, we're not put off by the tarnish. 
We can see beyond the tarnish to the pure silver, and we're impressed. That's how we can be patient with sinners. How about kindness? The word kindness really means, you know, if I'm passing, if I'm passing a scene where I see people are clearly, uh, you know, clearly having difficulty with the car or something, there's clearly a mess somehow, and I could say, oh, I feel bad, that's called empathy. Kindness means I stop and help, like if they're changing a tire, I stop if I can and I help. Kindness simply means putting love into action. It's that wonderful stuff of basically putting the car into gear. Instead of just running the engine, we put it into gear and it moves. And we put love into action is kindness. Love being converted into incarnational reality. We have generosity. You know, uh, this means that we just are givers rather than takers. We're like God, we're givers rather than takers. And this gives us real joy, by the way, because Jesus said, you know, Jesus is almost never quoted uh, outside the Gospels. One of two quotes we have from Jesus outside the Gospels, or one, not talking about the book of Revelation, uh, with the risen Jesus, is, you know, the Lord said, it's more blessed to give than to receive, meaning it makes you happier to be a giver than a taker. <laughs> happy means, you know, blessed sense it works out, but, you know, uh, blessed is happy. Okay, so the point is here is that we're just basically have that idea of, gen we're, we're about a giving. When there's a problem, we don't say who's going to do something about it. We step up. How can I help? That's generosity. How can I help? It's not that what should they be doing? How can I help? That's generosity, which is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Faithfulness, loyalty. We're the people who aren't, you don't, we don't have to have a referendum on whether you're still my friend today or whether I'm still going to be with you. I'm with you to the end. It's like, God, I'm, I'm just here with you. That's it. Gentleness. Gentleness is it's not just what we do, it's how we do it. Mother Teresa famously said, it's not, what we, it's not the things we do, but the love we put in the doing. So we can do things. Very often what happens in charity work, as they used to call, you know, when we help, uh, we're giving out food or something. We can make this very bureaucratic. It's a good thing. We're giving food and things to people who don't have it, but it's pretty mechanical, and it can be sometimes dis dis demeaning to people. If you ever saw Mother Teresa in action, you would think they were doing her a favor. I mean, she really had this... Uh, uh, you know, well, she would say she was because she give, they're giving her the joy of giving. So we have the, the idea of gentleness means we don't just do the right thing, we do it in, the, in, a, in an incredible way. You know, it's the doing it the right way. And self-control means we live in freedom. We're no longer bound, we're, we're not bound by every passing whim that comes. We have freedom. For example, a lot of us are bound what other people will think of us. You know, we have to say, I'd love to do this, but people, what will people think? And self-control means I, my, what I do has no, is not bound by anything like that. I'm in the freedom of Christ. You know, I, I live in freedom, the freedom of love. I do whatever I want. <laughs> you know, do love and do what you, love and do what you want, as St. Augustine put it. So in conclusion here, some of us have been waiting a long time for our spiritual life to begin. We might feel we've been tra trapped in a traffic pattern, okay? Um, and the good news is that the, even though the fullness of salvation will be when Christ comes again in glory, we're already, it's already not yet. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, is already among us. So the fact is we need to be living kingdom lives. We need to be taking advantage of the kingdom which is all around us. And that means it's time to let God be God, to live out our anointing as prophet, priest, and king. Not to try to do it ourselves, let God do it in us. He's given us a gift to reflect God's holiness, to just spend time with God and that will transform our lives with other people. The best thing we can do is to be close with God. That very fact will change lives. Reflect, and then we say bear fruit in the Holy Spirit. 
to be fruitful, a branch that really bears fruit that, that helps the whole world. So to sum it up, the good news is that our spiritual flight plane has been cleared for landing and our gate is open and ready to take us in. Time to land. And one footnote we could have here, you know, every, every week at communion we have prayer, praying prayer ministers at the side. Today you might think of them as your personal air traffic controllers. So if you're considering a landing, we have people who can help you uh, affect that uh, successfully. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.